Uh, I believe there should be some sound working its way down the tubes that form the internet. Everyone, um, how are you doing? It's episode 188. Why is UK infrastructure so slow and costly to build? Um, what I should have done is put some, uh, because it would have been relevant to the conversation, I should have put some uh, COVID stats. We'll do that next week. Uh, next week's going to be a news episode, so we'll do lots of catching up. Uh, tease slash spoiler alert. Um, as ever, I have to speak in not so excitable tones because my daughter is being put down as we speak. Um, I, I would normally be part of the process, but um, anyway, you know, it's a real matter. This is why I'm a pretend. In fact, I think next week I might well do the 8 p.m. shift. Um, it might not be permanent, but certainly I think at the moment it would make sense for me to do this at 8 p.m. Thoughts in the Discord. Anyway, enough of this. Everyone, um, I've got the cursor showing because we're going to have some PDFs up. All that remains is for me to say, um, uh, actually, we're, we're going to be talking about this thread. Uh, Sam Demetrio's thread uh, here. Um, Sam and Ben did actually not the thread. There was a thread, but the thread is based on a on a, an article on on Sam's website. Um, I, I don't I don't know Sam and Ben's background. I don't know what their Britain remade the background of that think tank is. It's all very elusive. I'd be happy for people to inform. It it it, it doesn't look like it's saying all bad things, but there are quite a few things that I don't. Um, uh, I, I I'm not sure about where the, the so hi Sam and Ben. Loved it. Would love to chat, but. Um, Basically, this this piece that they've written, based on a, on a bit of quick doing some quick sums on some on a, a decent list of projects across Europe and beyond, in fact, I think, but certainly in Europe, um, draws a conclusion that I see so many people drawing, and it, 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 they draw a conclusion that I, I see uh, Alan Levy and and others making huge fusses about project costs and, and about that being the problem rather than a symptom, and it. I, I, I intend this episode to be explaining why that is the case, um, because uh, everyone, let's get cracking. Welcome to tonight's Rail Matter. City 225 fades, fades away, fades from view. We start with some news. Um, yes, uh, this is quite funny. Uh, Faisal Islam here bringing up the news, uh, having chatted with Sir John Armit, um, the government's big transport bigwig, chair of the National Infrastructure Commission. Uh, yes, pause the HS2 land sale, says government big project advisor. And in fact, if we scroll down this article, uh, let's I tell you what. Let me, let me just move some crap out of the way here. There's some nuts. Uh, there's a mug. Oh, let's briefly show you that there's a mug. It's, it's the, the, the Kant equation mug is my work mug. <laughs> uh, there are some big faces. Oh, I'm, I'm looking a bit bleached out, aren't I? Let's, let's do a bit of that. There Hi, everyone. It's me. Uh, we need the Wacom because I need to scribble on things. There are. Right. Let's go over here. And where is where is it? Hello, mouse. Let's go with this. No, let's click there and go with this. There, now this should work. No, it will because it's not plugged. Everyone, it's not plugged in. Good grief. Oh, I think you probably all heard that little pipity pip. There we are. We're in. Hooray. Right, okay, so here it is. Sir John Armit warned there is a real risk that its plans would make the government, that is. There's a real risk that government's plans would make rail travel between Birmingham and Manchester even more congested. What do you mean, real risk? It is going to happen. 
it is going to happen. Don't don't use you should not be in a senior position. Like if, if you're in that senior position, yes, your role is to just basically be uh, to add credibility to whatever government's plans are. Yeah, okay, fine. Therefore, if you have it, if you have any backbone either you go into that role intending to tell them to foxtrot oscar when they say bad things or you don't go into that role if you have a unless you're supine you do not go into that role so don't arm it anyway um so there he is on this screen here that i'm going to put back up in front of you um going oh there's a real risk that that, that, that these plans would make rail travel between birmingham and manchester more congested it's not a real risk that is what will happen like that is precisely what will happen so say it oh, anyway um Government, is, uh, we're going to ignore all this, the government nonsense. Uh, opposition has accused the government of assaulting the earth. That's my line. <laughs> Sabotage. These are all, anyway, fine. Um, fine, 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 fine. Uh, but where's Sir John? Sir John here, chair of the National Infrastructure Commission, said the decision to sell property was a mistake and the options should be kept open. I think it's a mistake. I, I, I think it's a mistake. I think that the land should be uh, kept for at least two or three years to give the opportunity for people to revisit that and look at what can be done within that space and find a more cost-effective solution, not write it off today. That's kind of what he sounds like. I have been in a room giving evidence with him multiple times in Parliament. Um, I'm disappointed because I think it's what we often describe as a sort of knee-jerk snap reaction. Yes, it is. Now, why? why what might have given government the ability to do that i wonder sir john armitt you might be reading those in watching this in youtube might be reading the chiron here yeah why now remind me what okay yeah okay so sir john armitt who's chair of the national infrastructure commission does anyone remember what the national infrastructure commission knocked out um uh about three years ago anyone remember Oh yes, that's right. It was uh, it was the rail needs assessment for the Midlands and the North uh, here. This rather happy looking lassie, um, rail needs assessment for the Midlands and the North. Now, what did that say? Let me re- uh, now. Let me just remind myself. Ah, uh, uh, yes, mm, it, uh, it 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 confused HS2's purpose. It put HS2 as in conflict with rather than supporting and indeed enhancing uh, regional and and local connectivity and it was directly taken and informed the integrated rail plan which as you know was the government cancelling the eastern leg of hs2 and basically providing the setting the, the groundwork for it to then cancel the rest of the project as well so so john armit um oh my goodness me man just you you you've you've absolutely around and now you're gonna have to find out it's it's that's what happens my friend uh Anyway, if you want to find out about that document, it's an awful document. Riddled with error. At once, as with the you know, fundamental error that breaks um, the, the the strategic rail links report um, and led to the integrated rail plan. But again, he his language, the language of uh, that he and his uh, people who are working for him created. The, the 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 language they have created is the language being used by government now to cancel HS two. Um, I mean, there's a reason why Armit is where he is. It's because he's weak soft and does exactly what government tells him to do um it's just a vivid memory of when he was asked why the nic report scrapped the the dedicated high-speed rail link to liverpool and a mandarin just leaned in and basically leaned the microphone away and said and, and said no he won't be answering that question it's like if someone did that for, if i was being paid as much as i was and i was in that position i think i would glasgow kiss the person who took the microphone and tell him what had happened i just anyway he's wearing the hot dog suit yeah he is wearing the hot dog suit anyway um 
Yes, uh, possibly. Owen O'Neill is making an interesting point, which is I wonder if the NIC, uh, the National Infrastructure Commission, all based in London, by the way, are more huffy about this because the IRP was considerably part of the NI, uh, basically consisted of what the NIC recommendations were. Um, yes, uh, possibly, but I don't think they care particularly about the outcomes. I think Sir John Armit has reached the limits of his what he likes and yes possibly he is puffy huffy because he feels like the the, the irp the integrated rail plan was his his thing but anyway yeah not not great um is the sound all right by the way uh, aeroelastic is saying good vibrations down the tube but hopefully that is uh, not sarcasm in any case uh, uh let me just uh, da, 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 da. sorry i'm just gonna talk a little quieter um because i sense you might be picking some stuff up on the mic from my the wee one is not not too happy so i'm gonna really go quiet for now anyway right let's let's press on so um another another interesting news um abolish the treasury says whitehall yeah there's there's been a this review's been kind of going for a little while uh which is a review to um look into a review by a former cabinet secretary looking at what you know kind of big changes in whitehall and um and the main one is uh break the treasury up uh, <laughs> People often say, including some quite senior people, sort of think that I'm joking when I say abolish the treasury. But hopefully, as you remember from the past episode of uh, of Rail Matter and countless threads and things that I've talked about, I'm absolutely deadly serious when, that this needs to uh, this absolutely needs to happen. You know, we need to see the end of treasury it needs to be um, gone um, asap. Because it's causing a lot of problems, um, but it's interesting that, uh, that, that there is a potential that it might actually happen. Um, anyway, anyway, that's enough of the news. Ten minutes of news. Let's uh, let's let's talk about this this piece. So this 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 article, this this little piece that Sam and Ben have uh, have created. I'm not saying it's tossed from top to bottom, not at all. I'm just saying that it is doing the classic thing to my mind of um, well, you kind of go through uh, and. Kind of understand. You kind of go through this thing and understand that it 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 draws the lo- the wrong conclusion, as many as I kind of alluded to at the start, as as many other commentators do. They suggest that cost is the reason that we have these problems, when in actual fact it's it's very much not the case. And I'm hoping that um, that I'll be able to make that point um, nice and kind of nice and, and neatly um, before the end of this episode. I've just realised. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I just realised I need to type a thing. Uh, to so, um, right before I do that, though, let us talk about HS2. Need <laughs> to talk about this project. So, okay, HS2 is the re- this is this is ostensibly not an HS2 episode, even though we're obviously going to talk quite a bit about HS2. Um, and one of the things that we've seen a lot uh, have kind of been quoted and the news and and lots of other places, and even people kind of sort of ostensibly. Sort of support of the project still kind of talk about this the idea that costs on HF2, uh, HS2 have spiraled. We've seen costs absolutely spiral. Is you know, is there any you know? Okay, is there a truth in this? You know, yes, no. That's kind of partly what we're going to have a look at now. You can tell I'm typing the thing, can't you? The people in audio only are like, what's what's he doing? Well, I'm actually typing the last slide, which I forgot that I needed to add. Uh, sorry about that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. There, fine. You'll like this. Um, 
that's 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 it's an it's a necessary slide that, that anyway fine right costs on interest to have spiraled yes they have uh, let me go let me bring my little face up in the corner hello everyone I'm, I'm back um i'm back here in the corner um I'm desperately ch mildly checking my phone to see how the Wii One's doing as well. It's just you know, I don't want don't want a little upset Wii One. Anyway, cost on H2 spiraled. We're going to refer to um, a document from quite a number of years ago now, but kind of it's from ch January 2020. Uh, it's a report by the um, the what I like, is this a type of the Comptroller? Who's the Comptroller? Uh, the Comptroller Bunkers and Auditor General. Basically, it's the National Audit Office looking at the numbers of HS2. Um, there are multiple uh, documents that were kicking around at this time looking at the costs of HS2. And you know what? I'm going to stick with this one. Uh, it kind of fairly neatly lays out kind of an idea of the costs. Um, and, um, well, it includes quite a few useful little graphics. One of them is just looking at high-speed two phase one. So the reason... To, so basically, this is looking at the 2019... Um, costs the, the the costs that came out at the end of uh, of 2019 which frankly is is, is kind of the pre-irp hs2 so before all the scopes started getting smashed a bit and bodged around with and actually by this point by 2019 the costs were fairly stable and, and as i'll talk about in a minute they continue to be um pretty stable relatively speaking um Raphael Nicolaus, uh, break up treasury. What does that mean specifically? Go watch the episode where we talk about abolishing treasury and it's explained perfectly um so, so here's a nice so this this nice graphic so what have we got here we've got it's a waterfall uh chart isn't it that's what they call them uh we have on the left hand side here we have the april 2017 estimates so kind of a reasonably stable the estimates starting to mature this is just for phase one um and then we have all of the ways that those costs have increased so you see in terms of abs in absolute terms not relative terms but absolute terms where costs have increased and in some cases where costs have decreased these little blue lines here the costs have decreased um and then you can see there's a couple of numbers here which is the the, the estimate on, on the right hand side here we have then the updated estimate so all the things that have then been um uh the kind of we can kind of ignore this one these ones you can kind of ignore these so don't worry about those ones but basically you've got all the things that have increased the cost from the from the 20.6 billion uh in april 2017 um which are all these costs are in i assume uh will they be in 2019 prices anyway it's kind of moot don't look at the absolute numbers but because these things often get confusing with inflation i'll, I'll sort this out in a graph in a minute don't worry um uh, up to so from twenty point six to thirty point seven, um, so an additional kind of a th about a third extra onto the onto the costs uh, here, and so you can see that the different ways so so nearly five billion of extra main civils kind of construction costs, the station build a design and build an extra billion on top of that, nearly a billion in railway systems and an almost a billion in, in proprietary works. And in HS2's own costs, 700 million on uh, works to the existing railway network, and then the numbers get smaller. Here, you know, 400 million extra on utility diversions. Um, these are this is extra. So this is on top of the existing kind of the previous estimates. So you can see all these. As we've understood more, as we've done more surveys, it's clear that a load of not nearly conservative enough. Um, uh, estimates have been made of, of everything so but it's a, it's a very useful graphic and there are quite a few there are quite a few in um uh quite a few within gra useful graphics within this document um this one here by the way you can google it and download it it's, it's easy to download so 
Um, and actually, they go through and give us pretty specific details of where those cost increases have, have laid. So I think this is useful. This is just looking at HS2, just, just for a useful bit of context to look at where some of the, the phase one cost escalations have, have come from. I think, um, and this is increases in cost, not not why is it expensive to start with, but increases in cost. And I think some of these can be quite useful and instructive. So just, just you know, some of the things that we're talking about, you know, extra costs of, of, of bridges, tunnels, and earthworks as a consequence of DFTs, requirements for HS2 becoming clear during the program's design. Why, why weren't they clear from the start? Oh, my God. Uh, they are. This, this is some... Uh, answers to some of the questions on the t-shirt here station design and build previous estimates of contractor overheads and design costs are based on other programs which underestimate the cost of hs2 stations they underestimate the cost of new complex high-speed stations that's the issue um so and the next one railway systems uh this one's painful as well. Further development of the design has led to a better understanding of the work needed for systems, as in there was no work done on what the systems would need to be for the project, yes. And this one's particularly painful. The need for specialist skills has increased labour costs. Who thought that they wouldn't need specialist skills on this stuff? Baffling, absolutely baffling. Uh, site complete proprietary works. Yeah, volume of work needed has been greater than anticipated as a result of issues such as the presence of asbestos and archaeological remains. Again, this is all because it was probably costed out of the initial uh, assumptions uh, to make the project look favorable for treasury um hs2 costs this is just some stuff about hs2 stacking it and assuming that some of the costs were within their budget that there weren't be so they had to ask dft for more money um dft assuming that hs2 limited operating costs would get paid for by uh, this is all people assuming someone else would pay for it so dft assuming that um avanti were going to pay some of HS2 Limited's costs, which obviously, they would, why would they do that? Uh, HS2 assuming that DFT were going to pay for some of their land and, and professional fee costs. And then the fact that this taking longer, so it means you have to pay everyone for longer uh, within HS2. Um, yeah, so all this stuff, existing network, wider network works, all not, you know, costing more, particularly used in existing network stuff, although common existing network stuff all costing more, partly because, again, I'll look, an accounting flaw, um, the cost rates being based on HS2's original estimates rather than using the network rail contractor estimates that are more accurate and higher, by the way. And then all this stuff, more utility diversions, the cost of uh, properties being acquired is was a lot higher than previously expected. Um, you know, some other stuff. And then actually one of the savings was the government deciding to reduce the size of the rolling stock order from 60 to 54, which actually saved some money. So the project did have some savings here. Oh, and this one here, I don't know, I've scribbled all over that. It's because I've got me whacking sideways. Um, anyway. anyway, so this is the bit that all of you are waiting for and um, should be... This should be useful and interesting. So this is a little table. Um, here we have... the the. the the cost basis so so like what are these prices in like, like what are these prices actually from you know these 2011 prices 2015 prices 2019 prices and then the latest you can get from the bank of england which is august 2023 prices so the first estimate was made the first sensible estimate for hs2's cost was made in 2013 it was made in 2011 prices which is why i've made the text all big and the cost in 2011 prices was 50.1 billion for hs2 right so um the next one, 2015, the next estimate came out and it had gone up from, now this is where you have to be careful, it was in 2015 prices and this is the 56 billion that, that, that everyone quoted. So it's a 2015 estimate of 56 billion. But 
if we're going to put it in 2011 prices, that's only 52 billion. So it's only a two billion pound increase on the 2013 estimate. So that's not that that's that's not a dramatic increase. And, and that's it's a, you know. So if we actually, um, as we're going to do momentarily, you can see the the, the August 2023 prices. We'll talk about those at the end. But it's only a you know it's a, it's a, it's a marginal increase uh, in cost really. So then the next solid set of estimates was in 2019, and again referred, uh, it was from, started with Alan Cook's, the, you know, the, the chair of HS2's stock take, and then later the DFT, um, so this is this is Alan Cook's stock take at the 2019 price, and it, it came up with, in 2015 prices, a an increased cost of £78.4 billion, pounds. so uh, there are, £78.4 billion. Um, and then another estimate came out. The DFT came up with an 88 billion figure. Now, I part of me is not sure whether this was an accounting error, but in any case, let's assume, and that's in 2015 prices. So, my understanding, I think the NAO have got confused here because DFT were saying that the 88 billion, I seem to remember the 88 billion being quoted in the stock take as the 2019 price. In any case, I'm being this is in the NAO report, so I'm going to take the numbers from the NAO report as read. So, 88 billion in 2015 prices. Okay, so what does this mean today? Because trust blew up the pound. So what does this actually mean, materially mean um, for prices? So if you have everything in August 2023 prices, the original estimate of HS2's cost was 70.4 billion, right? This is for the whole thing, by the way, the originally as planned, including Goldborn Link, Eastern Leg. Um, so 70.4 billion. So from 2013 to 2015, the estimate went up to by about four, well, by about four percent to 73 billion. So it's not very much. By 2019, as all the extra detail and stuff had emerged, the, that had increased to a 32 percent increase. So it increased from 70 to 103 billion. And then the 2019, the, the kind of the DFT estimate, that, that that more conservative estimate suggested that it would be 116 billion in today money so they couldn't see the future today they didn't know the trust was going to go full um institute of economic affairs and set fire to the economy more but um 116 billion is the today prices so in today prices the full of full hs2 project was being predicted at, uh, as costing 116 billion versus 70 billion so that's adding what is that an extra 46 billion to the cost that's quite a lot of extra money but it, okay, it's more than HS2's costs increased by, but it's only a 40% increase on that original budget. Like 70 to 116 billion does not sound as dramatic as often you hear people saying, well, it was originally going to be 30 billion. Nowhere was it ever going to be 30 billion. 40% increase in cost is not that dramatic for such an enormously overcomplex way too much in one scope project. That, that, I see that as quite impressive. And as lots of you are pointing out, like it's nothing compared to what like, like that's one year of NHS funding for a for a hundred and twenty year well plus railway that's gonna that would have transformed you know the rail network fundamentally transformed the way the rail network works so yeah I, they're they're the price of HS two so the idea the costs are spiraling I don't buy into that I don't think that's actually an accurate representation and indeed if we hop to the the kind of the six monthly report to Parliament made in June this year June this year. Um, here it is. Hugh, oh yeah, Patreon people, I need to have a chat with you about what Hugh and I said when Hugh was very rosy-cheeked at the National Rail Awards. Uh, th some things to say about that. Anyway, overview. Um, uh, yes, the Patreon people get that because uh, they, they pay me and therefore I can trust them to not 
share things around but um anyway value so da, 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 overview of this and you can see let, let's scroll down all this chaff fine whatever program update fine affordability they're saying okay they're talking about houston a lot there's this problem with houston yeah we know that we know that uh, but it, the grand scheme of things is not a big deal um but if we scored go do, 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 opportunity benefits fine lovely actually do they talk about the proper benefits no it's interesting that they don't they just aren't talking about the actual no 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 construction no nothing about actual long-term capacity no none at all engagement landed property fine whatever whatever forward look financial annex this is the key stuff so this is the target cost the car as it currently stands is well within the estimated cost at this point so actually we're down so that the, the for phase one the um, total estimated costs range is 35 to 45 the target cost is based on all the receipts put on the spike so far and and the current current risk pot and, and basically the latest most accurate view of what the cost will be is 40.3 so kind of sat comfortably in the middle of that range that allowable range um you've got the costs of, of 2a 2b the western leg uh note that the eastern leg gone and goldbond link gone if you go down here uh yes because you can see the removal of the goldbond link Yes, it did reduce the scope of the Western Lake. The other thing is, okay, historic forecast expenditure, fine, lots of stuff here, um, not that much of a problem. What's interesting is this is the HS is the is the phase one contingency drawdown. Uh, the drawdown of the HS two contingency, a bit of drawdown, bit of drawdown. Okay, fine, but there's been no drawdown of the government retained contingency. So actually, what that means is since october 2020 so basically kind of basically and i dare say this is the case kind of further back than that what's actually happening here is that the, there are no problems things are actually going fine if this was spiraling you'd expect these numbers to be dramatically increasing and, and just causing um you know so that, you know they, they've only eaten into their overall contingency that's left by 30 percent. so the 30 percent into the contingency which is not that scary really and they're not at all into the government contingency so this is not a picture of a part of a project in crisis houston has got its own screw-ups but actually overall the project is being was being, was being delivered and continues to be delivered for phase one although as, as you all know i don't think you can call it hs2 anymore uh it's kind of fine it's going okay so the idea of this picture of the project just going out of control is is, is false is, is really is false and, and we should we should reject it so that's the that's the report to Parliament. Let's get into the into the thing we're all here to talk about, which is um, about UK infrastructure projects. Why they're so slow? Why they're so costly? What's going on? What's the problem here? Um, let me just I hear silence, which is good. I think my door is closed. And I really hope it is. Anyway, I always feel very sealed when I have my earphones in. Uh, earphones in rather than headphones because I don't I don't really know why to be honest. So. Let's talk about this. Why? Why is this the case? Let's talk about my three my three reasons, and and I'm not going to give you academic science behind each of these, but I, I'm going to back up back them up with a few different things. Let's go in and, and actually talk about um, the three reasons. The the three reasons I give in interviews why my projects, but particularly why HS2 is as cost has escalated. Uh, the number one reason is the lack of political commitment. We just have zero political ability to commit politically um and and there are a few things within that as well we have a, the mo we are the most centralized over centralized but certainly the most centralized economy in the world 
um, the, the amount of power centralized on a very small number of people, as we saw with Sunak unilaterally canceling the project, is hugely undemocratic. It means that we, you know, this this lack of political commitment means that the, the contractors will charge more because they don't know whether the project is going to be cancelled. So they need to make their money that they can't business plan. So they need to like get as much money up front as possible. This lack of political commitment is just runs through everything. The next one, number two. So this lack of political commitment leads to the lack of a fundam a one thing that's critical absolutely critically necessary that thing is a long-term plan having a plan that that you can actually build to that you can actually that contractors can go oh that's the plan so we need to employ these people we can buy this equipment we can actually think about the future and make co you know, reduce costs as a result of that as a result of the lack of a long-term plan in certainly hs2's case you end up with massively overburdened scopes and this is true with other projects as well transpennine route upgrade classic example um same with all, basically all of the electrification projects in the uk that all fall under this because they're projects not programs of course so number two is this overburdened scope and what i mean by that and let's use hate continue using hs2 as the example rather than and i talked about this last week didn't i rather than having a project that is Euston is its own project because you have a long-term plan you know that Euston needs to accommodate a certain number of trains so you can do the Euston approaches and Euston as a single project then you do Old Oak Common as its own project you know what's going to come into Old Oak Common you know what's going to go out of Old Oak Common you can build Old Oak Common as its own single project it doesn't need to be part of a bigger program you just build it as a single project and then you can build the bits of rural high-speed line on their own you can do these sections each section is its own thing you don't need to call 520 kilometers of you know whatever it is and in yeah 520 kilometers of railway 530 in fact you don't need to call 530 kilometers of railway one thing one project hs2 no as a result of that it becomes harder to cancel it if you've got all the individual bits it becomes you know it's harder to cancel multiple multiple projects it becomes you know the, the hs2 being called hs2 and isn't the issue but the fact there is a nebulous scope that means that governments could say well we are delivering hs2 when they're not is a real problem so this overburdened scope so so you know and and the reason this is this is you know when you compare costs in the uk so that second one is absolutely accounts for an enormous difference as, as i'll talk about momentarily because if you're looking at high-speed lines in on the continent particularly spain france germany they're not including new stations they're not including the major city center approaches they're they're covering they might well have tunnels for sure you know rural tunnels absolutely lots of the, the austrian and german certainly the german high-speed lines have lots uh you know italian high-speed lines certainly have lots no we're talking it, we're talking about the fact that you know those when you do you know repeat can be very cheap we're talking about the city center stations that are immensely complicated the approaches are immensely complicated those are all within the hs2 scope whereas those are just not anywhere near the scope of high-speed lines in you know look at france in fact we'll talk in a bit more detail about the french lines to france their high-speed lines are purely the high-speed line out in the rural area joining up to the main line outside of the city very very different so um, lots of people asking. Do chuck a few. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna let's go for the third one, and then and then I'll pause for questions. So, what? Well, that's number one. Number two. Number three is the industry and delivery body structures. So, so what do I mean by that? What do I actually mean um, by this? Uh, first of all, what I mean by this is that I need to. Oh, why is my? 
text spacing going a bit weird. That's strange anyway. Never mind. Uh, I don't I don't know what this space here is. It's a bit weird. Anyway, uh, number three, industry and delivery body structure. So what do I mean by that? Well, two things. Firstly, the, our, our construction industry is massively fragmented, way more fragmented than uh, than other countries. We rely hugely heavily on SMEs, small, medium enterprises, very small businesses to deliver stuff. We hire in everything. So we don't have a company that just has all the equipment, that has all the skills, that has all the surveyors. They have to hire in you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 60 100 sub 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 contractors you know multiple layers of, of subcontractor each of those layers adds lawyers adds contracts adds cost and adds delay so those that that the industry structure is the fragmentation of the industry is is an enormous um extra uh cost burden on, on on the project costs but also the delivery body we have a delivery body that has had to invent itself out of nowhere to just deliver hs2 the rest, because of the lack of a long-term plan, we don't have a delivery body that has been doing high-speed lines for 40 years. We don't have a delivery body that has been doing electrification for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. So we don't, we haven't learned all the skills, all the knowledge that you pick up. You know, this is particularly true for electrification, where you know there's a lot of saying discussion going. Well, the cost of electrification is too much, so we can't do electrification. It's like, no, no, no. And an example, a good example, and Gary particularly points this out, is the amount of paperwork, the amount of documentation required for any given kilometre of electrification. It's like, well, there is that 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 happening and the costs associated with that happening aren't the reason why we're not doing electrification. The fact we're not doing electrification and haven't had a rolling program of electrification means we've forgotten how to that we, how much of that we don't need. And it's you know it's true for everything to do with the the, the, the design, but also the, the construction as well. Having the skilled people, the equipment that you can you can uh, accelerate the delivery of this stuff with. So these are the three: lack of political commitment, overburdened scope, and the the, the industry and delivery body structure. So the kind of the organisations that, that enable you to d- deliver, build, you know, design, develop, scope the, the the project. These are these are the fundamental issues. So I'm going to go big face, and we're going to quickly whiz through and answer some questions. Um, let's have a look. I'm slouching here. I hope. I'm just going to quickly look at my phone just while I'm, while I'm doing that. To, yes, this looks like good news, which is good. Um, right. Uh, oh, golly, I'm being quoted. I've got Google notifications of my name. Um, I don't need to Google my name because I've asked Google to tell me when I appear. Uh, it's useful if you pop up in the news and <laughs> you kind of want to know where you are so that you don't get shouted at um, too much by your employer. Right, so where are we? Let's hop up here. Oh, um, let's go down. There's, there's, oh, there's lots of comments going on. Um, right. Yeah, Richard Fraser, quote the cost on day one, and 15 years later it costs more, always does. It's called creep and confound inflation. Exactly, as, as we showed in the table there. Um, Gareth is saying, a comptroller is a posh title for an auditor for government spending in certain areas. I think it's more agencies than directly run services. Interesting. That's very useful. Uh, Raphael, right, actually still need to watch the episode. Yes, you do. Uh, Tom, uh, that one could be fixed by having a rolling program of high-speed rail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very true. Right, so... Um, uh, Let's see what else. Uh, our percentage increases compared to the 2013 budget. Uh, the, the percentage increases are off the August 2023 budget. Uh, good question, Gareth. 116 billion is still not bad at all. Yep. Um, 30 billion figure. I think the 30 billion figure was like the, possibly a number quoted by Network Rail in its New Lines program report. I think that's where that came from. I can't exactly remember. Um, yeah, some people saying it's cost at 16 billion. Yeah, it's just a joke. It's just nonsense. Um, 
Yeah, there we go. Yeah, fine. Sakura is saying so regarding scope, you want HS2 London from HS3 to HS4. I mean, not so much that. I would just say you have a picture of what the final rail network should look like and you divvy it up and deliver bits of it. I wouldn't be numbering the other projects particularly but yeah it's, you could when we when we get when we go through what the high speed what the uk's high speed rail network should actually look like which will be an upcoming episode um doing that will you know that that'll be the, the, the uh, we can discuss what numbering might be off the back of that can't we um uh right uh why is it that this happens well funnily enough we're going to have a look at why this happens uh rafael so everyone asking questions continue to at, at my name if you want to ask questions so let's talk about this we're going to talk about this document here the which interestingly is authored among others by a certain sir john armit uh ooh, it all comes back there's a pwc report uh the bad guys or some of the bad guys we hate the big four they're, they're, they're baddies but this is actually a useful document it, it makes some key emissions but nevertheless it's a useful document this is this was happening kind of during the development of hs2 phase two um, in November of 2016, and government was like, oh, why is it not costing so much? Um, as they often ask and often commission reports. Um, and so, I suppose real international benchmarking study is the name of this report. And what it does is, well, we're going to get it up for stars, because here it is. Look, look, I've, I've brought it up. Uh, it's a document that goes through, uh, picked a load of comparative projects and tried to understand why they cost less than the, 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 the projects in the UK. So there's a big forward, whatever, we don't care. We're going to jump through the executive summary as well because we don't care. What we're going to do is have a look at the project of uh, this report. It's not a huge document. We're going to kind of whiz through fairly quickly. Um, so we're going to look at the cost of international high-speed rail. It's going to look at phase two itself. We're not going to dwell on that. Um, and then we're going to look at comparators with international high-speed rail and then some findings. Um, all the prices are quoted in 2011 values in here, by the way, just in case that's um, relevant or useful. I always have to think about what year. It's the first thing to do is what well, what year is that price in? It's really important. So uh, the study reviewed 230 billion pounds of high-speed rail projects across you know, multiple thousands of kilometers of railway in 12 countries. Marvelous. 32, in, in 32 projects. And so that's the, the comparison there. Uh, fine, lovely. Uh, here's a nice summary of all the different projects they looked at. Lovely. Um, and uh, so let's, let's look at the costs. So the, the average cost of high-speed rail comparators in 2011 prices uh, is 32 million per route kilometer. It's not per single track kilometer, per route kilometer. So it's about half that, 16 um, per single track kilometer, I dare say. Um, and the range is, is kind of 11 to 79 million uh, per route kilometer. That's kind of the comparison. Um, and so you can see there's a, there's a range of, of costs here. I know this is quite small. Don't worry about the size of the text. And this is for those watching on your phone. Uh, anyway, right, so you've got different comparators of cost for, for like, you know, rural areas, urban and high density, kind of high infrastructure density comparators, and then complex asset comparators, so things like tunnels and stuff. So you've got kind of different comparisons here. So it's a good document. It's well worth uh, picking in and having a look at. You can see the range for tunnels, viaducts, earthworks, fine, whatever. What's annoying is that they don't plot HS2 on all of these. I, I found that irritating in this report, but anyway. Uh, and then ancillary costs, so things like uh, you know, project management, design, insurance, that sort of thing. Um, and again, you've got the different comparators. You can sort of see how these different, you know, the range that these different comparators map. map. Um, and, and the kind of the comparators are, are lettered. In fact, have they lettered the... They, don't act, they haven't actually lettered. Annoyingly, they've not lettered them the, so we know kind of who is who. But anyway, um, we've only got 20 projects that we can 
sort of directly comparing in any case. Um, so phase two, well, we know what phase two used to look like. In fact, just to date this document, they've still got Meadow Hall, uh, so that they've got the what should have been called the South Yorkshire Hub. Uh, you know, but anyway, Sheffield Meadow Hall Station then leads. There it is. Um, fine. There's the, the phase two bit, so they're just kind of explaining that. Um, and I don't know whether possibly an outcome, once again, should John Armit screwing things up, I don't know whether part of this this document may have directly influenced the decision to, to create, um, to, to, put, to put the train into Sheffield which, by people who don't understand why our, our railway network doesn't work quite the same way as European railway networks do, but anyway so da 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 da, this cost and schedule estimate is fine, 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 so this is not hugely exciting, it's just explaining why HS2 phase 2 is now let's look at the comparisons um so cost drivers, they're different challenges. So to HS2 phase, phase 2 faces some different challenges to those faced by other international high-speed railways, which drives greater costs that are difficult to avoid without changing some of the fundamental objectives of the scheme. Um, however, there are some differences in the approaches taken to delivering high-speed rail schemes by overseas comparators that do present opportunities. So differences, explainable differences, um, so summary of differences and opportunities for each of the drivers out in the figure above. So there's these five drivers of cost they've looked at. So driver one is strategic objectives. Driver two is is the UK infrastructure context and sponsor requirements. Driver three, delivery model in the UK industry. So this is kind of feeding directly into one of my big bullet points. Driver four, design requirements and assets. Driver five, scope and estimate development processes. Uh, yeah, we're really bad at estimating projects in the UK. Uh, again, that's a very much fundamentally a structural issue. Um, so now this graphic, we're gonna I'm gonna to refer to this back to this within my slide deck. We're gonna pick through, kind of what, but we're gonna kind of so we'll go back to those numbers that, that shortly. So there's kind of cost differences. Um, uh, so there's a, there's a couple of high speed lines that are similar. So you know similar alignment speeds, 400 km an hour alignment and, and maximum operating speed 360. Uh, extensive environmental mitigations, tunnel sections in city centres, dedicated intermediate stations, extensive use of elevated sections. Um, so there's this, this kind of this one project is what they've used for this graphic here. Um, comparator F, as they call it. I don't know which project Comparator F is, but but it gives an idea of where the of where kind of the key differences are. Um, but there are other. It's a shame that they just picked on that one rather than others and and, and pulled things out. There, there, this wasn't a fantastic document in honesty. It's useful. There's useful stuff here, but there's definite shortcomings in the way they've done the the split up, and, and, and I think they've they've lost some stuff. And there's some fundamental missing you know gaps in what they've, they've said as well which i i'll pick up on in my slide deck but anyway let's let's whiz through so um what they got the, the, the strategic objectives da, 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 da. new station which requires new stations to be provided so they're talking a little bit about scope not in a huge way but they're talking about the fact they need new new stations fine um there's this, this kind of waffle they go through all the different different things here so then we, they're, they're kind of very roughly outlines where these differences are fine so they go into the details in a bit more in this section. Differences and opportunities. So talk about you know kind of strategic objectives and why you know the, the fact that why the project is designed the way it is and and the, the high capacity, um, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine, 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 fine. Um, so and, and you know lots of this stuff the, the fixed delivery dates and uh, is a is a problem there's this, this, this bits and pieces they pick up on um they talk about uk population density but not you know dramatically different necessarily um there's some some sort of comparisons here there's comparisons of rail density uh, the uk has a very dense rail network relative to the the other high speed rail comparator countries um but we don't have a particular you know our our, our road network isn't dramatically more dense than 
the rest you know were middling in those five countries you know france germany uk italy and spain um there's another interesting graphic which looks at the root characteristics of, of hs2 phase two not not the other phase but phase two um compared to other projects so compared to f it's just sort of nominally similar although there's less tunneling on it um more structures uh, it's sort of see a comparison it's, it's annoying that they've chosen to just not state what the projects are because it, it makes our lives a little bit difficult you know city center dedicated lines it talks about um it talks about you know the, why the why we need new stations or massive extra bits of station on hs2 which is a fundamental thing we have to do that you just could not avoid if you want to do the right thing which is why sheffield was such a mistake and it gives some examples again i pulled these out into my slide deck um scheduling and phasing okay fine so that's you know weirdly done um speed maximum speeds could we reduce the speeds well they don't talk about why the speed is, is what it is and, and what that unlocks which again is frustrating but they talk about comparative speeds and the reality is that hs2 um which is in here is below the average comparative speed so actually there's not a dramatic diff you know there's as, as people always say it's a crazy speed but it just it's uh Actually, there's HS1. Wait, what? HS1 overall. Yeah, that's HS1 that's below average. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's me misreading this. HS2, annoyingly, they haven't included on here. The average comparative speed is 311. Have they given an HS2 average speed? It's probably the average speed of HS2 is probably like three, three, 310-ish, probably. So it's probably about there. I just don't see it as being dramatically different. Uh, is HS2 phase 2 on here? It isn't, which is, again... Why have they done that? It's just like a basic data thing. Put HS2 on here. Like, what, what are they doing? Anyway, there's, just, there's, there's some bad choices made in this document. I would have had some comments had I been reviewing it. Uh, okay, so there's lots of stuff on the UK industry. There's stuff about the planning. There's stuff about, you know, and again, I'll pick out some of these. Lots of information on here. I'm just reviewing this so you can pick the document up yourself. You can download this. You just Google it and, and find it. It's still out there very much. Planning for high-speed rail, you know, having a plan. Look. France have had this strategic plan since what, like 1992 or something. Um, Germany has one they've had in co that codified for a long time. Um, you know, integration, relative, yeah, fine, fine, fine. Supply chain costs. Yeah, the UK supply chain is, you know, yeah. Well, again, I'll pick some of these things out. There's this, this, this thing which is interesting about the the UK industry environment driving higher supply chain costs. So low market confidence. Oh. Now, where's low market confidence, lack of government commitment? Hmm. Um, fragmented supply chain, lower spending on people and skills, lower investment in innovation, less capital uh, deepening. Uh, all of this stuff, you know, all the stuff I've just talked about, the th my three big things, all feed into us having it, our our construction industry being particularly inefficient. Um, this is a good graphic, this one. It's a useful one to refer back to. Uh, fine. So the design requirements, fine. So there's stuff about the fact that well, we use this and we use that. We use existing rolling stock dep depot facilities and upgrade them. We don't have room for that. Uh, you know, all these sorts of comments and stuff. So um, uh, let's see. Uh, fine. Uh, the various bit, there's, there's, there's some useful and interesting commentary here. You know, comparison of rolling stock depot costs. Uh, you know our our depots are more expensive uh yeah the noise barriers and stuff like that there's, there's, there's lots of comments on scope tunnel diameter hs2 phase 2 spain california we'll have the same tunnel diameter so that's not the issue track widths hs2 phase 2 is middling you know it's got a narrower track width than taiwan and germany and belgium you know it's again not you know 
it's, it's just it's lots of fuss on on costs. This is the other stuff that I'm saying is gold plating. You go through here, and it's clear that this doesn't account for much difference in costs. Um, so finance recommendation is fine. They, they they say a bunch of stuff that's like about five. You know what? We don't care about the recommendations. That's that's the end of that document. Let's pick through the key things here. That, that, that so this is the this is one of the key findings of the, of the document. Um, there we go. I'm going to read this out verbatim. Um, High-speed rail projects in mainland Europe are typically part of a long-term strategy that has often been set out for decades. This has enabled the promoter organizations to develop expertise and to provide the supply chain with longer-term incentives to invest in growth and innovation. Hmm. This is a thing we lack. Long-term strategy. What is it that I keep going on about all the time? Oh, yes, that's right. The need for one of those. So that's long-term strategy. And what does that enable? Well, among other things, and also there are partly historic infrastructure reasons for this, but among other things, let's look at some, a couple of LGVs. So Sud-Est Atlantique and Breton uh, Prat de, de la Loire. Um, my French is dreadful. Sorry, everyone. This is pointing out that we've got... So so let's look at uh, LGV BPL. René Laurent uh, Le Mans, all here... Uh, this is the junction to classic network. So there is a junction onto the classic network for it to arrive into the main station. There is a junction that it does a bypass and then junctions to get into the main station. Well, there are junctions into the main line to get in and out of Le Mans um, here and junctions connected onto the another high speed line and onto the other, other kind of existing network. You can see this is just a, it's just a high speed spine. There's nothing going into city centres. Ditto, let's look at uh, Sud-Est Atlantique. Bordeaux, up to Tours. Um, you can see Poitiers, uh, uh, all of these cities along here. Uh, there we go. Châtelaurent, uh, Rolt, I know Rolt, uh, yeah, Poitiers, and, uh, on, uh, oh my God, Angelime. I don't, I don't, my French is so dreadful. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Uh, all of our francophones out there, I, I do apologize. Again, you'll notice no city center station, just connections onto the existing network as it bypasses the city center station. Uh, oh yeah, there we are. Bypass, 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 bypass. None of these, and this is true for Spain, this is true for Italy. The ISB bit does not go into the city center. Now, this isn't me saying that that's what we should be doing. We have to have, we don't have the capacity. The whole point is that Beaching got rid of our city centre capacity and it, where it, it, if it existed at all in the first place. We don't have that city centre capacity. We don't have the capacity. Our city centre stations are already too small. So we don't have the capacity to run a lot of extra services through them. So we need the new city centre stations or the massive expansions. That's just the, that, and this is a, a, a very few other high speed lines in the world have to do that. So, it's very, very silly to make international comparisons without accounting for that, attempting to account for that. And yes, as many people have pointed out, um, phase 2A uh, is a much fairer comparison with other high-speed lines because it doesn't include anything other than a, a couple of high-speed rail junctions uh, and and some plane line. Actually, it's still disproportionately expensive because it's such a short stretch, you know, 16 miles. The cost of those big... High speed, the big high-speed rail junctions and the cost of some of the big stuff doesn't get evened out enough because it's such a short stretch. So even that's not a hugely fair comparison. But the, the cost of HS2 Phase 2A um, is much more comparable with with the, the high-speed network. Um, 
so, and what else? Okay, so the construction industry. Let's talk about the construction industry. There's, there's, there's kind of four bullet points that are worth picking into. Number one, there's evidence that the UK uses a greater number of smaller contract packages than international comparators, which increases administration and interface burdens and reduces economies of scale. Public sector procurement in the UK has a greater emphasis than elsewhere on encouraging SMEs, small to medium enterprises. Yes, it does. Why do we do this? Because in, in, in Sunak's words, Britain is the country of small businesses. Um, UK contractors is number two. UK contractors do not have the same levels of confidence in the pipeline of work to commit to the same levels of investment in skills, innovation, and plan, or to consolidate as much as mainland European contractors do. Yes. Again, the reason for this, lack of any commitment from government. Uh, number three. I, I should have been scribbling, so we've done number two. Uh, number three. Uh, mainland European contractors employ higher proportions of labor directly than is typical in the UK. Oh, look rentier economy stuff, uh, where transient contract labour is more common, resulting in the additional burden associated with an unfamiliar workforce. You have to do much more job-specific training. Um, and number four, uh, John Christoph is uh, asking a good question I was going to raise momentarily. Number four, contra construction contractors in the US, France and Germany invest more in plant and equipment um, than contractors in the UK. So there's just a lack. Our contractors are, are worse equipped. They have fewer skilled staff on the books. Um, they don't have any confidence in the long-term pipeline. And uh, we also have more of them, and they're all fragmented and rely on lots of subcontractors as well. Uh, I'm going to go big face and answer a couple of questions. John Christoph, uh, couldn't one argue that these city centre stations... Um, uh, so the stations... It's not so much that the stations are outside the city limits, uh, John Christoph. It's more that um, that the there aren't any stations on those two LGVs that they actually... The, the, st the trains come off the, the, the high-speed uh, line, run onto the existing network to run into the city centre, then they come back out onto the high-speed line the other side. Um, uh, and that is one way to do it. It, 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 it works if you've got city, sta city centre stations with enough capacity. So in some cases in the US, it would work better than... The trouble in the UK is we don't have city centre stations with any capacity. We also don't have, crucially, we don't have any city centre, the, the city centre approaches into places like Manchester, into in, 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 even in Crewe, particularly Leeds, certainly the case in, 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 in Birmingham. We don't have the, um, the the approach capacity to run the high-speed services into the city centre station either. So, so that's a, a key issue. Um, so... Uh, that's that's it. That's it. That's kind of the point I was making, uh, John Christoph. Is that is that is is this the? It's not that there's. It's not so much that there's Parkway stations. The HS2 had a couple of Parkway stations, and the, their reasons for having the, city, the 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 Parkway stations in the East Midlands and in South Yorkshire, particularly because those um, those two those are the two Parkway stations. Okay, Birmingham International and Manchester Airport are both airport stations that kind of have a similar function in serving large bits of of of, of those cities that are. You know, developing differently like again west midlands there's a like coventry and other places could use Birmingham interchange and similar for but anyway the point of east midlands parkway was that, uh, sorry not east midlands parkway that's just, that was east midlands hub was that it's a very spread population across the, the, the several cities and, and, and large towns in in the east midlands and so having a, a hub station allowed those to be catered for without compromising the city center stations um and and, and the overall route um and you could build a metro system to kind of you know, metrify the existing rail network to then tie, you know, improve your overall generalised journey times. And this is South Yorkshire is again similar. You've got Rotherham, Sheffield, Doncaster, quite a broad spread. The geography through Sheffield itself is very challenging. So having a, having Meadowhall made more sense as a, a as a station. 
because uh, you actually widen the catchment substantially, um, bringing in a lot of the kind of the, the wider, broader area that is otherwise underserved. And and, and, and again, it's it's straight off the M1, so it's a valuable connection. Um, yeah, so that's the reason for those parkway stations. But other than that, they were all city centre stations on HS2. Um, so so that's that, that's kind of the, that, hence the reasoning that I'm going through now. Um, Eddie Owen, this might seem irrelevant, uh, but how is the UK's motorway network built? Was it done by rolling programming? Can lessons be learned? Uh, Eddie, yes, you uh, have referenced my trash feature comments and things I've said elsewhere as well. Um, the, the motorway network was delivered to a plan, a broad plan. Okay, it was a, it was a, a bouncy plan, but it, it nevertheless was a strategic plan, so they could build bits of it and it kind of, you know, the bits they chose to, to construct. It was also built not by central government, but it was the delivery was led by the majority of our motorways the delivery was led by the regional road units by 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 basically the, the councils councils large councils back when the councils were powerful the ones who delivered it not central government that's a really key thing uh, and in fact since central government took it all over we haven't really delivered much motorway at all and when we have it's been very expensive um so yeah the, the motorway network was built to a strategic plan by the regions and this very much ties into the stuff that i say about you know i talked about over centralization this is this is a key thing it's more difficult to get buy-in when you're talking about general elections and election electional uh, kind of um election cycle politics ra and electioneering rather than uh yes uh rather than um centralizing everything and, and rather than spinning out sorry to the to the to the devolved regions whatever they happen to be whether it's the combined authorities or whether it's you know a a proper devolved structure that makes sense rather than 20 different types of devolved authority um the, the, none of the, none of which actually make any sense but yeah if you devolve it out to to the councils um you know big councils uh, groups of councils coalitions of councils can deliver this stuff and they can get the political buy-in on a longer term basis than central government ever can because central government is fickle and stupid in the uk um, and basically absolutely unfit for purpose. So, right, there's lots of other discussion. Let's 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 crack on a bit a bit more. Um, let's get my small face up. What's the next thing we're going to talk about? Ah, yes, this thing. The summary of cost differences between HS2 Phase 2 and Comparator F. So this is just one Comparator project. So don't don't take too much from the big numbers. But but this this gives you a, on this side here are the differences in cost between HS2 Phase 2 and the, that particular comparator project and where those costs come from. So in terms of the difference of like strategic objectives and, and how much more HS2 has to do than, than other schemes because of the way we've d d kind of expanded or not expanded our rail network in the intervening years since, you know, since it was built, that we have to do more things, but it only accounts for, you know, 7%. That's not a huge difference. Double that, 15%, is the cost differences attributable to um, uh, actually? Let me let me rephrase that right. So cost differences attributable to the strategic objectives. So the need for intermediate stations, fine, but the root costs, city centre dedicated high speed lines, internal stations, all that extra scope. In this case, they're saying it's adding fifteen percent. I think that that on that's to this comparator F, which is supposedly a similar project that has similar things i think if you that's not hugely useful if you compare it to all of them that number would go up because they're comparing comparator f is supposedly very similar in scope to phase 2a but the um but if you compare it to all of them which is what most people are doing when they're quoting like oh it's 10 times more expensive than other high speed lines this number obviously goes up a lot because those high speed lines those projects the, the headline costs that are then divided by the route length don't include all the expensive stuff 
So let's jump to the comparator F difference to, to, to the delivery model and, and the UK construction industry. They perceive this as, as about 12%. So it's a size, again, a sizable chunk of, of cost difference. And actually the suggestion is um, from, from the PwC say, well, you could get all that back if you just restructured the, the supply chain. Well, you could, but you'd have to do a long-term plan, which would mean abolishing the treasury. So, um, and there's another section here, design requirements and assets. So this is referring to the some of the stuff that you might refer to as, as gold plating, uh, which I hate as a phrase, is is 5%. So trivial and, and probably arguable because there are lots of reasons why we might have done some of the things that we've got here, the you know, asset costs, civil structures, railway systems. You know, the fact that we buried all of HS2 three metres, uh, certainly phase one, we buried the whole lot about three metres below ground level to... To, to avoid it pissing anyone off, uh, which is going to be really nice for everyone traveling on it. Um, that that sort of thing adds quite a bit of cost, but actually still overall, in the, for comparator F, certainly it was, it was you know, negligible. And I agree that it's negligible. Um, so, uh, Barry Jones is saying the regional road construction is reported to MOT. Yeah, but they're... Mm, mm, but Barry, that they were regional units. They were informed... The council's... Their relationship was with the councils. The council design units are the ones who did the design. You know, these were the motorways were delivered regionally. They were not delivered centrally. That's it's it's like their their official reporting line, perhaps. But these were you know they, it was the councils. It was regionally, absolutely, it was regionally delivered. You know, the design software was developed by you know that that I that's still to this day related to the software that I used to design railways. Moss, um, you know, I use BRT, but it, it incorporates elements of of MX, which which was. The, the result of Moss was developed by uh, uh, County Durham and North Yorkshire councils, I think. Um, anyway, so, uh, and then there's this other bit here, scope and estimate development process, which is basically saying the UK is dog shit at actually developing scopes effectively, which is fine, but they don't say we can fix that. They just say, oh, which is funny because that's the bit that they're most, as, as an auditor, that's the bit you'd think they might have more to say on, but anyway. Key thing missing from that report, I know we've gone a bit long. This, this is not going to be a super, super long one, I promise. The key thing missing from that report is um, uh, there's no mention of, of the problems of over-centralization and, and, and the value of devolution, and and there's no mention of the ability of central government to meddle. So there's no me mention of the dynamics of power within the UK. It's a serious omission, frankly, uh, within that document. Nevertheless, useful, interesting document. Lots of shortcomings of the document, but it's 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 useful to to pick up, and there's, there's information... Um, uh, within there. So, we've got these three. The lack of political commitment, overburdened scope, and the industry and delivery body structure. These are the three things that, that account for that, 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 those high costs. As for gold plating, which I hear a lot, no, no. So, uh, interestingly, there's, before, before we end, there's a, actually, we're not going to end because we're going to go through the, we're going to go through that, that blog and talk about it for, for 10 minutes. But, the, back in December 2010, this is not a new thing. We've not. This is not. None of this is new. Anyone remember Infrastructure UK? Lol. Anyway, December 2010, uh, Treasury uh, created a document going. Why does everything cost so much? Uh, within this, and I referenced this in um, uh, in Trash Future, which I will tease later on. Uh, they had five improvement objectives, which you'll laugh about. This is Treasury the bad guys of the piece. So let's start from the top. Uh, to create better visibility and continuity of the infrastructure investment pipeline. <laughs> it's Treasury saying that. And number two, uh, to implement effective governance of projects and programs. 
Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, number three, to instill greater discipline in the commissioning of projects and programs. Wait a minute, didn't 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 Sunak just cancel HS2 and replace it with a bunch of projects that he he'd got his spad to make up or or Google, and and that's the basis on which the Network North list came from. Hmm. Okay, whatever. Develop smarter ways to use competition. That's just a treasury brain nonsense. That doesn't doesn't mean anything. We don't even worry about that. Um, and then the last one, number five, to create an environment that encourages industry to invest in efficiency and reduce uh, and reducing direct construction costs. Ah, yeah. So the long term pipeline thing. You know this this one. So this is Treasury. I mean, there's a deep irony here in the fact that this is a document that Treasury created and Treasury is one of the key reasons why none of that ever happens. That's quite funny to me. Um, in any case, so this, this has been coming up for a long time and the, 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 the cost, the fact that cost is not the problem. And, and the fact that, you know, the issue is, is far deeper than that. It's that all of our institutions in the UK are set up, specifically set up, to, to avoid delivering anything. Like, I'm not being trite about that point. It's a very specific point. Like, our entire institutional framework, the attitudes of government, the attitudes of bodies within government, the attitudes of private contractors delivering for those bodies for government, is work out how to deliver nothing. That's 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 the ultimate aim, is, right, how can we make nothing the answer here? That's the, fundamentally, across all this, that's the, the answer, is, right, the, the ideal solution is nothing, rather than the ideal solution is maximum and work your way back anyway let's 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 go over to um to sam and ben's um little little blog let, let's go over there um uh, no thanks let's uh let, let's go through so so they've gone through unachievable talking about this this was written back in august 2023 so um before the, the big cancellations and so on so Lots of stuff about costs we're not going to worry about the cost thing they're talking about the 400 billion per mile we've already said that's you know, it's it's just not it's not an effective comparison. Um, uh, it's just a mismanagement project it wasn't tragic. Too much buried. Yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. Much about how HS2's project grew so large. It's not that large. Um, again, we don't. Yeah, it's still. It's not. No, no. Fine. So it's, there's lots of stuff there that's that's not. You know, there are. Britain remade the pro growth campaign group. I don't know who Britain Remade are, and I'm, I'm wary of them. I don't know who their funders are. Anyone who knows who Britain Remade are, you know, but always be sceptical of these, these sort of groups until you know who they are. Um, they looked across 138 tram, metro, and rail projects across 14 countries and some road projects. We're going to ignore the road projects. Um, the reality is the infrastructure is, is more expensive to build in the UK. Okay. Y yeah, fine. They've used it. They've adjusted to 2023 figures as well, so that's fine. Um, okay, that's the reality, but... The problem is where they leap to why we're not delivering stuff. You know, so they're talking about trams, and okay, great, we deliver lots of trams. Uh, lots of places, you know, Lincoln, Winchester, Carlisle, all having tram systems, which, you know, they, they should. Anyway, uh, infamously leads largest city in Western Europe without a metro system. Yeah, we all know this stuff. Fine, fine, fine. How has tr France been able to have a tram renaissance, and why can't Britain do the same? Um, you know, Leeds Super Tram. It's saying uh, it's much, you know, much cheaper, and it's saying, look, look at these tram construction costs. France super cheap. UK look really very expensive. Like, well, is it? It is that? No. Okay. What about what we've built? Fine, fine, fine. So talking about you know these these things that we've built. Fine, fine, fine. Some project. I, I also don't. I'm not. I need to look into these prices. But but anyway, whatever. It's kind of a similar to a, table, a database that I have of projects that I've picked out. 
So they've gone through it. Look, look at this. It's, it's expensive. The, the th going through costs of underground costs. And one of the things, you know, through, well, there's a point that there's a thing they've written that irritated me. Where is it? Uh, let's go into tubes. Yeah, okay. So um, at peak times, I don't know, busiest, uh, Elizabeth Lyon, they talk about the fact that it cost, Crossrail cost more, world's most expensive metro systems. Yeah, that's because it's has one of the higher capacity one of the highest capacities of a of, of, of any metro system you know it's the, the long trains they're high it's high capacity it's built for growth into the future um yeah they're saying oh the northern northern line extension to Battersea was less expensive but you know wasn't cheap for for that much for two miles of track yeah, because for a short project it's much more expensive per kilometer so that's kind of how that works you know uh New York and the US by far the world's most expensive place to build. Yeah, and then you go down to the UK, and it's like, well, it's not that. It's, okay, it's, it's expensive, but it's not. It's not so dramatically expensive by comparison to others. You know, you know, double the cost perhaps. Uh, but actually, I'd say it's less than that. It's not like forty, you know, fifty. Yeah, okay. Well, we call it double, around double, which they've said here. You know, and six times more expensive than Spain. Okay, fine. They kind of go through and they discuss the same thing. This is where the, their conclusion is. It's because we build expensive that we don't do anything. And I cannot, cannot tell you how much that's upside down. You know, if Britain could build as cheaply as Spain and the Nordics, we'd be able to do a much wider range of transport. No, no, no. It's the fact that we don't build all the stuff is the reason we, like, it's not, it's not like we've been delivering this stuff and suddenly it got expensive when we stopped delivering it. We have never done this stuff. The UK has never built metro systems outside of london since the initiation of the you know we just haven't done it you know we, br did a little bit again thanks to substantial devolution of power a little bit in mersey mersey rail has some elements of, of metrification that happened but it's not you know it's not that dramatic you know <laughs> yeah again uh referencing alan uh here as i have before you know but this obsession with cost and saying cost is the reason it just absolutely is politically it's just it's just losing all of the context as to why that might be the why is that the case why why is the cost high it's like it's not just because people have decided it's not that our engineers like just doing more no it, it isn't if you look at the system in the uk that has but you look at crossrail and compare it to a, a, a metro system elsewhere it's not Okay, it's, it's it's good, it's fantastic, but it's you know, it's just it's a, just a regular ass metro system. The engineers haven't gone out of their way to make it more expensive. There are reasons, structural reasons, why it has reached that cost. You know, it's not the physical stuff. It's not that we've literally gold plated it. There are structural reasons why those costs are higher, and there's just absolutely this, this this there's no absolutely no consideration as to why that might be. And then it gets worse when we go down to rail electrification. So the the you know Ben and Sam. Here talking about or Sam and Ben here talking about electrification, and you know we're such you know it costs so much of our to, to too few lines electrified. Yeah, fine, whatever. Um, you know electrification should be no brainer, but look, it's so expensive, so we don't do it. You know, electrification of the Great Western Line from London to Swansea expanded budget expanded threefold. You know, why why did that happen? Why why did that happen? They're referring to Ria's electrification cost challenge uh, document here, which is a great document. I think we've referred to it in, in past rail several times before. Um, they estimate that could, things could be cheaper, yeah, for sure. But you know, they pick up the Transpennine route upgrade as an example of a project, and they say, "Well, it's 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 supposed to cost this much, and now it costs a huge amount more, nine to eleven billion." It's because, sorry, excuse me. It's because our because we've we've not done anything to our infrastructure. We haven't upgraded our infrastructure, so the electrification makes no sense to be done until you've done the capacity upgrade. That this is not. 
it's not that the electrification is expensive, it's that we've not done anything. So it all gets pulled into, once again, a great example of overburdened scope because we've not done anything before. H2 could have been lower scope, could have been less substantial in scope if we'd built other higher speed bypasses or station expansion projects at any point in the past. But all we've ever done, the, the, the drama most dramatic stuff we've ever done was, apart from the Selby diversion, is like just remodeling of station approaches. And we, uh, that's it. We've never done any real, outside of London, certainly, have we done any, has there been anything approaching a major station reconstruction that has expanded beyond the railway boundary? No. So, again, just hopelessly missing the point here, very, very dramatically. Um, I'm going to ignore the stuff about roads. So, the more expensive infrastructure to build, the less we can afford. Well, that's a truism, but it's not a political reality. Brits are less productive as a direct result. Well, that's kind of a, yeah, that's a secondary point, and it's true, certainly. And and also, yeah, outside of Britain, bigger cities are more productive. Yeah, fine. Um, fine. Yeah, you're just saying stuff that's true, but it's irrelevant. Um, one explanation for why Britain's big cities underperform is they're only big on paper. Again, you're quoting Tom Forth's stuff, fine. But but new tram lines could cheap. If they were as cheap to construct as they were in Europe, then they'd be a lot more likely to actually get built. How have you come to that conclusion? You haven't. You're looking at correlation, not causation. Sorry, boys. Big big to this. Just very very fundamentally missing. Uh, missing the pic big picture here. Absolutely nothing to be said about lack of, about where power sits. Nothing to be said about centralization. Nothing to be said about treasury. Nothing to be said about green book. You've 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 missed the mark on this one, lads. Sorry. Oh. Right. So that's me getting angry about this, but I th hopefully just made the the key point. Um. So. This is this is a, the kind of the point I want to end on, and we've talked about loads of other stuff, and and, and hopefully covered it all in reasonable detail. But this is this is the kind of the deep fundamental point here, which is the entire UK economy is built on rentier extraction. So what I mean by that is the whole thing is based on us not owning anything and us having to hire a thing from a guy who in turn hires a thing from a guy who in turn hires a thing from a guy who hires a thing from a guy. And the logic is, neoliberal logic is that all the money is made not by delivering the physical thing, but by all of the layers of rentier extraction from the person going, can I have a thing? Bet between the person going, can I have a thing? And the physical thing being delivered. The money is made, the money is made by, in theory, made by all the extractive pointless stuff happening in the interfaces between those various people that is where the money is supposedly made right except that obviously so so right okay put to one side whether that's true or not fundamentally if that's the case then it's so why are we, why are we surprised if our entire economy is based on that why are we surprised that everything takes longer and costs more like our entire system is set up to not deliver anything and to maximize the cost of not delivering anything by extracting as much money as you can in all those interfaces. Of course, we are in our economy being absolutely wired like that. Of course, we can't deliver anything. And of course, it costs a lot to deliver nothing. Like fundamentally, structurally, neoliberal economics is designed around making money from not doing the thing, but from the process by which you get towards delivering the thing and the more it thing the more things you can insert between reality being delivered and reality being asked for the more things you can insert between it in theory the more money you can make and the bigger the economy grows except we know that doesn't work we know that that doesn't work long term that's 
you know, the perfect reason, it's why the railways were fragmented in the way they were, because the Adam Smith Institute and Treasury at the time, who wrote the white paper that that led, which I've got a copy behind me, which led to privatisation, that white paper that led to privatisation, the form of privatisation, privatisation was all about create as many interfaces between as many different organisations as possible, because that's where we will make money. That's where we'll extract value. Except we know that it doesn't work, <laughs> because... There is a reality. And if you want to deliver that physical reality, actually all those boundaries just get in the way of delivering the thing. So yeah, this is my last point, is that to write... So sorry, Ben and Sam, but for you to write your little report about costs and, and ignore this point and ignore the fundamental reason why the US... The, 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 and generally, this is Anglis, This is a true for all the Anglosphere countries. All of us have this, follow the same sort of post-70s neoliberal idea of what, of, of how to, how to, how, how to kind of, how best, you know, extractive capitalism, how best to, um, to, 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 to run an economy and make money and employ people. All of them have these problems of high project costs and for no one, or for, for, for Alan and for, for, for Ben and Sam to have not attempted to unpick that really misses a, a fundamental reason as to why these costs are so high. So without, you know, without unwiring that, without getting rid of outsource, getting rid of a lot of outsourcing, you know, restructuring a lot. I, I didn't catch myself there because I think we should have some outsourcing. I was just like, you know, there there might well be some elements of outsourcing that that, that don't make much difference. Is more the point. But without kind of reducing those interfaces, you know, simplifying the structure of our construction industry, having a long term plan. Without doing that, then we're not going to fix the cost problem, and we'll keep we'll keep having wonks going. Well, the reason we don't build anything is because it costs too much. We'll keep having these discussions, as we have been for a century already. We'll keep having these discussions until Britain is empty because everyone's buggered off somewhere that actually functions. Yes. Anyway, there we go. So I'm going to get rid of my face. Hopefully, that is a is is makes some sense and is a valuable explanation. Um. So. Uh, I'm going to now switch off my cursor capture because I can't. Everyone, thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> I think the previous version of the podcast, uh, last week's podcast is up uh, and, and downloadable. Uh, I now have access to the Spotify so I can actually look at the stats, which is quite good. Um, we, we need to, so Green Signalers, no, Green Signals is the new podcast that Nigel and Richard have, have created, Nigel Harris and Richard Boker have created. Um, and obviously, as with Christian Walmart, sorry, as with um uh, podcast um has the support of like an actual production company and an advertising budget and and so that's fine but they've obviously going to beat us so what we need to happen is for all of you to listen to this podcast as much as possible somehow so we can jump up in the spotify and and apple stats so that we're the most listened to uh railway and politics podcast come on now folks we can do it we can do it anyway um uh yes so the usual plugs, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis for the, to, to, to subscribe. We're aiming for 200 subscribers by the end of the year, weren't we? Uh, Gareth Dennis to cut your case slash merch for the merchandise. Uh, Gareth, thank you for getting a lot of extra people to buy. Um, I will do some questions at the end, by the way. Uh, Gareth, thanks for getting more people to buy the Sanvar uh, PG um, uh, hoodies. I, I might change the design on those to get rid of the text that I've cut off. I thought it was a funny gimmick to have that. But actually, um, I, I, I might just have the... Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to do it anytime soon. And I still think, Gareth, if you like it, then, then it's, it's good enough for them. And, it's, and if you like it, it's good enough for me as well. Um, 
paypal.me slash gareth is for abuse and lose change i've not been in there for a while i wonder if anyone's um, sent me any abuse i need to go in and check gareth uk for uh, slash discord for the chat that's going on in the corner and um, please if you don't already subscribe because I, we need to hit ten thousand subscribers on youtube come on now we're getting close I, I don't in fact what is the number let's let's go in let's go to youtube what 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 are the subscriber numbers to the channel right now number of subscribers i, I actually don't know how to find that out 9.04 k so we only need, what is that, like, what, 90, no, no, we need another, is that 900 people to subscribe, is that, I don't, I can't, no, nine, so that's 99040, need, no, no, go, there we go. Uh, 960 we need 960 more people to subscribe for us to hit the 10,000 mark come on make the magic happen let's do this um, please 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 um, subscribe so we can bump the numbers because I don't know what happens at 10k but you know maybe I get, maybe I get a nice email I, I, I know I don't get a plaque anyway right enough of that some plugs uh, yes trash feature high speed 2 cruise control go listen to trash feature that I was on um, it's a free one it's the free one um you can uh, go and listen to that where I kind of talk about HS2 a bit more and cover some of this stuff from this week, some of the stuff from last week. Uh, go and do that. Also, as of today, um, well, there's your problem podcast with uh, Scooter and me talking about um, the Interocean Corridor, uh, Corridor Interoceano, uh, Interoceanico. Oh, my, my Mexican Spanish is, is bad. Episode 143. Um, it's a three-hour bumper episode, and we talk about, among other things, why running HS2s among FRA um, uh, rolling stock like the one you can see on the screen right now is a very, very bad idea, and it's going to flatten people. Uh, this isn't good. So um, some multiple plugs for you there of things that are popping up on. Episode 189, What the Heck Else Has Been Happening, is next week. It's a news episode. There's a picture of, Mar- of no one listening to Mark Harper's speech, which is good because he said a load of Tim, Fa- Tim Foyle hat nonsense. Loads of new stuff has been happening um, in the transport world. I realise in the bigger world, lots of horrible new stuff is happening. That, that I've been having a sob about every half half a day. Absolutely horrific. Um, very upsetting. But we're going to focus on transport news, and it's not all good, funnily enough. There is some good stuff in there, though, so we will talk about the good stuff. If, the, if you've got news you want to send me that needs to go in there, then do so. Uh, do send me some of that news. Oh, that's next week, episode 189. My goodness, right. Oh. What's the chat going on here? Um, yeah, do like, always. Uh, always like uh, the, the episodes so I can see what's going on. Um, uh, regression. Kind of re-upping my question from last week. How have EU countries built and managed a different organizational structure, political economy, and state role in construction? Oof. Um, they didn't necessarily make the decision to change their economy to be focused around um, services and finance in, in the way that was the decision, Riley talks wonderfully about this of, of Trash Future. Um, a decision was made economically uh, within government uh, in 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 the kind of the aftermath of of uh, of the oil the, the kind of the two oil crises in the nineteen seventies that London would stop would start being a a place to send money through. Riley explains it fantastically and has done in a couple of episodes where he explains the, the reason Britain became the way it did compared to other European countries. That has not just hasn't happened in other European countries. They're not, they didn't make this decision to be where the money based on oil and, and other sort of commodities would pass through the UK and we would base our entire economy on that money just transiting its way through the UK. That was what we would base our economy on. And, um, and that's why everything's broken because it's based around facilitating that 
at scale. Um, there are other details to it, but other countries just didn't go through that, so they're still able to deliver physical stuff. They can still they still have a manufacturing industry. They can still build roads and railways. We we cannot do this. Um, let's see. Oh, there we go. Uh, Michael C. Hello, Michael. Uh, lovely to see you here. Uh, do you also think the HS2 scope could have been reduced with trains running into existing stations if we'd invested in more suburban capacity in the form of crossrail RIR style lines? Yes, exactly. If we'd had more, um, if we'd sent more of our suburban lines underneath the city centre stations, like has happened across mainland Europe, then we would have had the capacity for more um, high-speed trains to use the existing network. That's absolutely true. But we can partly the lack of investment and partly beaching is is uh, guilty of that because if we'd retained some of the suburban networks in some of the cities that we that we had originally then we might have been able to have more duplication of, of, of that suburban capacity uh, um, yes uh, here we are. Owen the signal Shamai Owen um, if studies already show high costs of not working strategically uh, isn't real question why costs increase far over initial estimates don't initial estimates factor known inefficiencies yeah, well yeah so we're very good we're very bad at, at cost estimating in the UK um, because I think again this becomes a treasury thing of that we're set up to ensure that uh, treasury says yes rather than just a realistic view of what the project's going to look like so you know our estimators early stage often go ah just assume that the best on that assume the best on that to basically bump the business case up rather than going well we strategically need this thing we know we need this thing so it doesn't really matter what the business case says we're going to build the thing as efficiently as we can but we know that it has to hit this mark this mark this mark sorry i just wallet my chin on the mic everyone um right last question um gareth from gareth uh, fellow gareth welsh government have announced they're protecting health and trains uh, in their budget for the next period uh, there'll be a story on baby wheels uh, news soon oh thanks very much I'll, i will pop that so chuck me that in possibly the discord in the news thing or, or dm me or whatever you fancy doing to make sure is that explanation of riley in the episode with you i think it might be in the episode with me last time possibly uh possibly just at riley on twitter and ask him where his favorite version of that explanation is because it's a very good explanation i'll, I'll clip it and try and include it in a future episode um because it's very good anyway right uh and i'll ask riley permission again because it's a, it's a really good explanation right anyway enough enough from me um everyone it's been a pleasure it only remains for me to wave vigorously uh it's ended up being a bit of a longer one sorry an hour and 26 minutes i'm gonna wave vigorously and I wish you all farewell and say, cheerio everyone, cheerio, thanks for joining, cheerio.